Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation, a program providing help and information for our caregivers who are vital to the health and welfare of so many people in our community. You can hear Caregiver SOS on air Sundays at 6 p.m. on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. And now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Our co-host is not only well-known in the community dealing with aging, she is chair of the National Council on Aging, a national organization that does a whole lot when it comes to issues involving the aging, legislative as well as functional. She's the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation, and we're delighted to bring this show to you week after week after week, and it's good to see you. Nice to see you. You went home to Amarillo over Thanksgiving. I I was there over Thanksgiving, and it... We had the big food, and it was great. And you beat the cold. And Yes, I actually did get in and out before all of the bad weather. Well, it is good to see you, and we have coming up uh, somebody that uh, we all have had a chance to meet and talk with in various ways. Candace Slusher is with a neat organization, Music and Memory, and she and uh, another organization that she works with were at the Caregiver Summit. They were presenters and, well, presenters out in the hallway as yes. vendors. Yes, they were had a table and were informing people about the program. So it's great that we get to have them on the show so soon afterwards. And she will be joining us in just a couple of minutes. But before we get there... Uh, I spotted and and sent to you a really neat story uh, from the New York Times. Thank God we found something to do with pigeons. That's right. Since, you know, carrier, they don't get to take messages. Yeah, they don't get to take messages anymore. So now we're training them as radiologists to spot cancer um, in lab results. And apparently they do pretty well. Well, they do. I thought this was interesting because you may know that, you know, dogs actually are being used to detect cancer and and other animals. They mentioned fruit flies. I didn't realize that they were that talented. Dogs do that with with odors that they detect. Yeah. But birds, they have such keen vision. Um, And so spotting abnormal you know, blotches on the, you know, test results is something that they can see most of them with a pretty keen eye. You know, they they train them for a couple of weeks before they actually use them. Um, And when they, you know, as they're training them, they know what the results are of the test that the birds are seeing. And so if they get it right, they get fed. So it teaches them. Otherwise, you go hungry, little bird. You know, starve, find the cancer, or starve. It's basic philosophy of this. Um, and when they find, you know, malignant tissue, they get, uh, you know, and they guess correctly, then they get rewarded. So they had an 87% um, correct rate when identifying the slides that they had trained on, 85% with slides that they had never seen. Uh, and after two weeks, they were still at 85%, which the article doesn't say what humans percentage. That's the logical question, right? Yeah, what, what the percentage is of correct you know, readings that humans do. But they did say that not all birds were designed to read mammograms, that some were, and this is a quote, bird brains. That they didn't do any better than, you know, just chance. Guess. Wow. Guess. So you want to pick the right bird, but this is, you know, back to serious, this is promising because thinking about, you know, 
humans are not good at doing the same thing over and over and over, these repetitive kinds of tasks, which, you know, reading these kind of tests are. So this is actually something good, and there may be other uses. You know, taking advantage of the strengths of our animal friends may have very practical applications. My late Uncle Howard Steiner was a radiologist, and I don't know how, and this is before digital radiology, it was all film and uh, uh, sitting in dark rooms. I don't know how he did it. For, for 40, 50, 60 years, he was a radiologist. He had, Unbelievable. He got a lot of sleep, I suspect. I would guess. <laughs> and I, I have to do a little research and find out what the level of accuracy is. In the meantime, uh, you also came across an interesting article about counting your bites as a way to control weight during the holidays. So here we are in the thick of the holiday season. I walked into work after Thanksgiving, and the first thing someone asked is, did you gain any weight over the holidays? And I was like, well, of course. Otherwise, what fun is it? But in case you're not wanting that to happen, here is, you know, a if you don't like counting calories, this is a new, um, it's not really new, but it's from Brigham Young University. A professor is telling people to count their bites. So you have to establish a baseline. You can't just go into the holiday feast and start counting bites. So on a regular day, you count how many bites, that's how many times you chew and swallow to kind of get the baseline of what your normal is. Then you try to reduce that by like 20%. Oh. Uh, and if theoretically, if you take 20% less bites or fewer chews, then you're actually getting less calories without having to do all that counting. You're only having to count your bites. So the people that did this in a test, and it was a small test, only 61 people, and I might add that 16 of them dropped out after a week saying they didn't like counting bites. But, no, I would think it's boring. Well, they said they might have other health reasons for not wanting to count the bites. Yeah, I'm exactly. Not, yeah, I'm not sure what that was. But um, they lost three and a half pounds. From counting their bites, they changed their habits, and apparently the gentleman, the professor who developed this, has been doing it for years, and he has never put the weight back on because he doesn't allow himself to go back up to the original number of bites he used to take. So you see how many bites that is? I don't know. It doesn't say up. Again, we, what's missing from this article? And this is the New York Times. That's what I wanted to know. Bad is it like 322 bites? Is it 5,750 bites? How many bites is normal? You know the problem? What's that? You got millennials working as editors. They don't really care. They're like, oh, that's too much information. <laughs> exactly. Nobody wants to read that. I'm curious. That? I'm curious. Oh, we can't say that. It's Gretchen Reynolds. Oh, no, we can't. Ooh, we can't say that. Sorry, Gretchen. Yeah. But we are curious about number of bites. Uh, we'll send her a note. Yeah, maybe so. Coming up in just a few minutes, somebody that uh, knows a whole lot about music, memory, and Alzheimer's. We're going to talk with Candace Slusher about her program, co-founded, uh, co-founder of the Music Project as well. We'll talk with her about what they do and how music can play a role in helping folks who are struggling with Alzheimer's and their caregivers uh, as well, which is a pretty good idea. But first, turns out uh, I used to work overnights, midnight to 6, Monday through Friday. And on the weekends, you're very tempted not only to turn your schedule around, but to get a whole lot more sleep. Sleeping in. Is it good for you or bad for you? Well, again, according to the New York Times, there was a study from the Journal of Clinical Endocrinology and Metabolism saying it's bad for you. Now, you can tell from the sound of my voice <laughs> that I'm not really very pleased with this announcement. Because you're a sleeper-inner. Because I'm a sleeper-inner. Yes, I do like to go to bed late and sleep late on the weekends. But they have found that sleeping late on days off was linked to lower HDL cholesterol, meaning you have 
lower good cholesterol, not as much good cholesterol, um, higher bad cholesterol. LDL is the bad stuff. Yeah, higher insulin resistance and higher body mass index. And this was true after they controlled for physical activity and caloric intake and alcohol use and everything else. Okay, now this is, here's the rainbow at the end of this. They, t- they said having to sleep and work out of, si- in, out of sync with your internal clock may be having bad health effects. So that's the problem is right. I'm out of sync all week. This getting up early and working all day, <laughs> that's out of sync. My normal clock wants to go to bed late and sleep late. So see, it's not bad for me because that's my own internal clock. See, my wife Gina is looking for a job where you can work from 10 to 2 with an hour for lunch. Absolutely. That's her idea. I'm sure there's some research to support that. Hasn't happened yet. That's right. Job-wise. Yeah. Well, it is hard. It to, those are Those jobs are hard to find. <laughs> and if you have them, you don't let go of them, no, I'm sure. No, you don't. You don't tell anyone that's your work schedule. By the way, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM. The Answer, I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zernio. Candace Slusher will join us in just a few minutes. We talk about music and memory. She's co-founder of the Music Project, and all that is coming your way right here on Caregiver SOS on air. By the way... If you go to iTunes, you can find all of our Caregiver SOS on-air shows, and you can catch the show where Ronnie's phone rings. That's right. And they're all free on iTunes, so most of the time you're having to pay for something. No. No. You can sign up for Caregiver SOS on-air for free. I like that. Now, you came across a really interesting article on 10 ways to make life easier for a sick Friend, I you know at the first of the show we talk about some silly stuff and mildly interesting things, uh, but this one I found really really useful. I was thinking about uh, two years ago. I did have a friend who was in a rehabilitation facility for in an extended period of time and in very poor health, uh, and he eventually passed away. And I really tried to make it a point to go by once a week uh, and spend time with him, and felt very strongly that you know. That I needed to do that. So it was really nice to see that if you have somebody who's recovering from a broken limb, recovering from surgery, maybe going through cancer, you know, maybe on hospice, uh, that they had some suggestions. And the first one was just go and sit with them. Even if you don't have anything earth shattering to say, uh, you can be there to listen to them if they want to, you know, whine a little bit and feel sorry for themselves. That's okay because we all go through that. Um, Or if they want to be mad or, you know, if they just want to you know, talk about Gilligan's Island reruns. It's that's all good. You can you can be there. And um, you can catch Gilligan's Island reruns now. I'm on sure on, TV. A, on anything. Yeah, I'm sure. Probably you're going to have to watch CSI though. I'm not sure Gilligan's losing out to that. <laughs> um, you know, it's you can give them an opportunity to laugh. The example that that they had was a, a, a lady was had had breast cancer and and she just really couldn't see. She know anybody who had recovered and she couldn't. You know, was really feeling down. And she didn't think she'd ever get to travel again. And her friend looked at her and said, why did they do something to your legs? <laughs> yeah, and she thought that was funny. It so is funny. giving them, you know, so they don't, you know, sometimes you can help lift them up. Um, and the third suggestion was to volunteer to take on specific tasks, which, you know, if you say, just let me know how I can help. That's a little vague. And so what they suggested is if they can't name anything, get out your iPhone, the little notes function on your iPhone or your smartphone, mm-hmm. um, and brainstorm. If somebody was going to help you, what are things that you would like them to do? Do you need somebody to feed your cat? Do you need somebody to pick up meds? Do you need somebody to water your plants, take care of your yard? And then once you've given that list, now they have that list for the next person that might come along. 
uh, to help them. Good so advice for caregivers too. It, it is. That's why you know, and this applies to to a lot of the caregivers. Um, you might be the friend that helps organize that person's other clubs into doing something like maybe they're in a church choir maybe they're in a book club so maybe the book club could bring dinner by on friday nights or maybe the church choir would be willing to provide rides to physical therapy you know once a week or mm-hmm. or arrange a schedule so i thought that was nice you know the sixth one was write a cheerful note u.s postal service who doesn't like getting a real card in the mail um, so even if it even if it says if you're going through hell, keep going. You know, just a cheerful note. Right. Uh, you could be command central and helping organize the family, the volunteers. You could be the person that goes online and lets people know how this person's doing. You know, a lot of people with cancer don't want to write notes to everybody, right. and there are apps uh, that you can use. You could set up the chauffeur service, arrange the rides. You could drop off People magazine or any of those light entertainment magazines. When you're sick, you really don't want to read. Probably the New Yorker. You want something that's easy to read and fluffy. Uh, you can just go and talk. Um, and then the last one is, you know, you can talk about what the reality of your friend's situation. If they're saying, you know, I'm not going to be able to do the things I used to do anymore, you can help kind of validate that that's where they are and that it's okay. I like that. That's a good list. So all good tips. Thank you very much. If you've just joined us, you've got a treat coming up now. Candace Slesher will be joining us, co-founder of The Music Project. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. What are you listening to? Caregiver SOS on air on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff that's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me. And you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to. And, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give. And I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. Want information about WellMed? Want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Yahoo! You're listening to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel. You hear us at 9.30 a.m. The Answer, and podcasts of each and every one of our Caregiver SOS On Air shows is available. All you have to do is uh, just go to iTunes, and you will find our podcasts, and you can sign up, and it's free. That's a good thing. It's a great thing. And you've been listening to some of the old shows. I have been. I, Reminiscing. I, I know I can go back and listen to some of the other guests. We have so many great guests on the show. Now, at the recent Caregiver Summit, which was a huge success, one of the exhibitors uh, out in the hallway talking to folks who came through, uh, Candace Slusher is with us now in our Caregiver SOS on-air studios, co-founder of the Music Project, very much involved in music and memory. She's a former LVN, a nurse here in San Antonio, has worked in the health care and long-term uh, setting for a long time. And Candace, first of all, thank you so much for coming in. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. What got you interested in music and memory? 
Well, we um, founded the Music Project in 2013, and our objectives are to bring music-related volunteerism to underprivileged children, the elderly, and the infirm here in the San Antonio community. So as we're, you know, kids are easy. There's lots of different organizations having to do with kids, so that was a, that, was, that one was easy. But as we're looking for um, an opportunity to serve our elderly, we were just online playing around and found this music and memory program um, created by an organization based out of New York, but they are nationwide, worldwide, really, in regard to just sharing their program and, and getting it out there. So that's we just found it and decided we want to do this, and we made it one of our main missions. And what is the mission of music and memory? What's the idea? So music and memory was initially created for nursing home settings for people who have people who have dementia and um people who have dementia because music connects to that old old memory that is still there well the thing is the music from your formative years the ages between about 15 and 25 is is set it's in there for good and even towards the end of dementia that part of your brain that recognizes and, and connects to the music is not really affected. And so if you hear a song that you heard, you know, that was your favorite song in ninth grade, say, and you haven't heard it in 40 years, and when it comes on, you still know all the words. And along with all those words comes the, the emotion of the memory that you were in at that time. You can, you can maybe picture the girl you were dating, or you remember being at, at a prom, or... Um, or a breakup song. Those are the worst because uh, they stick with you forever. So, uh, But those songs are still there and people who can't otherwise connect emotionally, socially. That's, that's the big idea. Now, Carol, you've had experience with folks with Alzheimer's in your own family. Have you seen that connection to music? Well, I, I certainly have seen the, you know, the ability of people with dementia to hang on to the music. You know, I'm familiar with the music project, uh, but it's nice to know that something that's that important in our lives is, you know, can actually stay with us. And I mean, and just as she was talking about, you know, the different types of songs, you know, in your face. And I was thinking of, we all were thinking of songs, you I know, was. the, the I breakup was. song, that first date song. And, you know, I know there's a lot of people out there who are going to be thrilled that I'm going to want to play disco music, you know, <laughs> for the rest of my life. That's just thrilling to them. <laughs> and the, the reason those songs, those memories stay with us, uh, is the onset and continuation of dementia doesn't destroy those memory cells. Pretty much. They're, they're just, they're, they're hardwired, basically just because they're hardwired into your brain. And is it important to try to recapture those memories? What does it do for the patient? Really, the songs evoke emotion and the emotion brings forth its memory. But the ability... And I'm sure there's science behind it. I don't have all of That's that. Okay. But the ability to, to recall the songs, to feel the emotions, just sort of brings the humanity back out from the frozen affect well, and it's that's a, created by if dementia. You, if you think of somebody with dementia, and I, I know I've told the story in the past, sometimes it's like a light goes on and off. Or if you saw the movie uh, with Robert De Niro and Robin Williams, uh, where Robert De Niro, you know, Awakenings, was the Parkinson's person and on the medication, all of the people woke up. 
um, out of this stupor. And, you know, and the same thing happens periodically in someone with Alzheimer's. Well, they'll have very lucid moments. And so the music can help trigger that lucid moment where, you know, even if they just remember, they're, you know, they're, they're smiling and they're having an emotional response to it, or it actually frees their brains up, you know, where they remember other things. They, they kind of wake up for a moment. You know, those are moments you live for those little glimmers of the person that you knew. So it's very, it's rewarding for both the person with dementia and it's rewarding for the caregiver as well. So Candace, how can the caregiver uh, maximize the opportunities that we're talking about? How can they use music in their caregiving with an Alzheimer's patient? Well, ideally you want to make sure that the the playlist or the songs that you have available to them are the, are personalized music music that they specifically know and love so i could tell you that i liked 1980s country and western music but that doesn't mean that you can just guess my top 10 favorite artists and and songs so there does need to be some history there and so family caregivers really do have an advantage as opposed to even a facility because you you should know the history maybe you have mom or dad's old record collection or you know what you listened to growing up in the in the home so you know you have some of that history so the big idea is to play the exact songs that they knew and loved so an example i give is simon and garfunkel's bridge over troubled water great song 1964-ish then elvis redid it in the 70s and it's a great song but it's not the one it may not be the one that they know and loved so it's really important to have that from there you just need to find the the best times to use it um at because it really it's a tool for caregivers so i would say Pick the toughest times. Pick maybe bath time or um, if there's a sundowning situation. or if Sundowning means? Sundowning meaning toward the afternoon, people with dementia tend to become more agitated and maybe display some negative behaviors that you may be able to curb if you can catch it ahead of time and literally just improve their mood before all that happens. Put a little headset on them and uh, fire up the iPod. There's, there's specifically... Uh, a testimony on the Music and Memory website, which is musicandmemory.org, uh, of a woman who was a caregiver for her mother and had been for about 10 years. And when she finally found Music and Memory and started using it, she said before that she would just dread bath day. She'd wake up nauseous because mom's going to fight me through this whole bath. It's going to be a rough, rough day. And then, you know, her anxiety would feed mom's and it would just be worse and worse. And once she figured this out, as she's getting the bath ready, she would set mom down and put her headphones on her and let her listen to her music. And after about two or three times of this, she would get the shower ready. Mom would go in and do it herself. And she said it was literally just life-changing, and I was sorry I didn't find wow. it sooner. That's that, amazing. Yeah. And so are the, the headsets are so you don't have to listen to the music? I mean, are the headsets, um, is that just to get it? It's, it's They're listening to it. Is I just didn't know if there was anything therapeutic about the headsets or we could all listen to the same music out loud. In the home environment, you can listen to it, it out, out loud. loud. But in a facility, you would want in to have facility, the headsets. Yeah. You need, you need to be able to so you don't block out others. the distractions. Um, but also, sometimes in the home environment, a headset would be better if there's kids around, if there's a large family environment, if somebody else is watching television and you can hear it. Or if there's just a hearing problem, you don't want the sounds to get drowned out in the room. It just depends depends on on the reaction of the of the person with the diagnosis. Right. And and there's so much now in the literature that talks about um, you know 
changing the environment, you know, doing something with music to curb the negative behaviors that there are so many times uh, people are put on anti-anxiety medication and, and other types of uh, medications and they aren't necessary if you can really work with the person and figure out those triggers that are causing the bad behaviors. And I think you even mentioned that before we went on the air, um, that you had seen some research that were, or, or anecdotal that somebody said that they were able to reduce the psychotropics. There's actually a, a local facility, a nursing home, who's been using the program now for four years on about 20 different residents. And with those 20 residents who are using it consistently every day at the right times, they've reduced their as-needed uh, antipsychotic medications by 80, 75 to 80 percent. And what does that do for the quality of life of the patient? Well. Um, Not being on those meds has to be a real plus. Well, that's just it. There's a safety factor involved with being on too many medications. People tend to fall. If family members come to visit or, you know, when you're with your family member, they're just drugged. They're doped. And, and it does reduce quality of life and, you know, reduces safety. And for someone who's listening, uh, who understands anecdotally that music can really help with an Alzheimer's patient, uh, how do you get involved in the program? Is there a, a, a how-to manual that they can get a hold of? Actually, there is. If you go on to www.musicandmemory.org, spelled out, you can um, just kind of play around on there. There are some downloadable PDFs that's about nine pages that specifically gives you instructions on how to do this for your loved one at home. If you don't know what a downloadable PDF is, ask your grandkid. Exactly. I would definitely encourage people to get your families involved. Um, a musical playlist is a great Christmas gift for grandma and grandpa when the kids don't know what to do. Yeah, and it's and it's so much easier now than it used to be. I mean, before we've had to run around to music stores and order online and you know do a lot of work, and now you can download almost any song um, off of the internet. It's all on yeah, the you internet. still have to pay for it, probably. Uh, for my kids don't, but we those of us you know that are adults usually do pay for them. <laughs> That just set off the alarm bells at the licensing agency. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. Let me see. Where does she live? You're listening uh. to Caregiver SOS On Air, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation right here on 930 AM, The Answer. More from Candace Slusher in just a moment, co-founder of the Music Project. We're talking about music and memory and how to perhaps begin that program in your own home. We'll find out more about uh, work she does in providing in-home care for folks who need it. And that's a whole lot of people, especially those who are caregivers and don't have time to do everything else around the house. Where do you hear us? On 930 AM, The Answer. Want to hear more? Easy. Just go to iTunes and subscribe to Caregiver SOS On Air, and it is absolutely free. We are rolling right along on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with Carol Zerniel, our co-host here on 930 AM, The Answer. And our special guest, Candace Slusher, is with us, co-founder of The Music Project and very much involved in music and memory. And yes, Carol. I just wanted to comment, you know, this, I was in Montreal in the fall, uh, just a few months ago, and I had a long discussion with a research there about music and dementia. So, you know, this is something, it's not just happening in New York or just happening in San Antonio. I mean, this really is a realization 
uh, on the international scale about uh, music and Alzheimer's and, you know, what we can do to help make life better. And it'll be interesting to see the research that comes out of Montreal related to this subject. And what was the researcher telling you? Um, she was saying a lot of what Candace was saying in that, you know, it has to be a structured program. It can't be just any old playlist. It can't be any old time. You can't just say, okay, mom, here's some music, blah, and just throw her, you know, something. It, it, it You have to plan ahead. It has to be used at the right time, the right music, you know, the right version of the song, all of that. So, you know, so I don't know. Like, you know maybe Candace needs to go up and coach the researchers in Montreal. Well, if I reach that point, just tell my wife the best of Casey Kasem's 50s and 60s music. Oh, there you that go. Sounds That's funny. all I need. You just have to. I just have to hear Casey Kasem counting down. You just have to count down, and I'd probably be happy. That's exactly right. So, Candace, uh, we've been talking about how folks can go to the website, and we'll get that address once more, uh, and, and begin to do this program. Uh, is this really self-start, self-do, or do you need to bring in somebody? Well, it depends on who you are and how computer savvy you are, really. Although. You know, it doesn't have to be quite so formal. And the truth is, even if you're a caregiver for someone who does not have dementia, incorporating music into daily life is still quite important. I ask clients family members all the time, as an activity, does your mom like music? And oftentimes I hear, well, she used to. Well, come on. It doesn't go away. Maybe her ability to get up and walk across the room and turn on the radio has gone away or to put on a record by herself. But if you know, music is home. Most people listen to the radio all the time in the car. So um, I would encourage any caregiver, even if you don't have help or coaching or a downloadable you know, program, just get out a record and put it on. Play the radio. Make sure that music is part of daily life for the person you're caring for. You, you kind of owe that to them, but it's also just a, a good way to connect with your loved one. Um, Especially with with couples, the music that you listened to when you were young, you should still be listening to. Now, the work that you've done with caring companions, uh, home care, uh, you walk into homes where there is music playing and you walk into homes where it's dead silent mm -hmm. or the TV is just blathering away. Correct. And the thing about, about television, especially with somebody with dementia, which you'll understand this, is that um, they may not be able to differentiate reality from, you know, television. So if there's a television show on that might be violent or there's a car chase or, you know, the news they might think is something happening with people they know rather than somebody across the country. That's interesting. And so um, reducing those, those television interactions is really important, especially with somebody with even mild dementia. And plus it's agitating. It's an overstimulation. So... Um, music is a much better way to maybe still have background noise or still keep mom or dad stimulated without, you know, being a potential for danger. Right. And and television, uh, a lot of times, you know, it has a plot. There's a lot going on to things to follow, and that can be very frustrating. I mean, I know that my family members with dementia absolutely could not follow even a basic television show, much less a movie. Even if you're turning on Turner Classic Movies and you think, wow, Casablanca is great, um, maybe Casablanca is, but that, that's got a pretty complicated plot, and if they don't really remember it, it, it really is a source of frustration. Right? Well, and, and the fact that it, it seems to be reality, our little five-year-old or four-year-old, Reagan, and uh, my wife went to the movies the other day to see Good Dinosaur, and uh, the other night it's a cartoon about a good dinosaur. 
The world's reversed. The dinosaurs speak and the humans are the pets. It's cute, though, according to my wife. Not Planet of the Apes. Not Planet of the Apes. It's Planet of the Dinosaurs. <laughs> and uh, the other, last night, Reagan said to me, so, Daddy, uh, how did dinosaur bones end up in rock? Pretty good question. I said, well, they're fossils, Reagan. Yes, I know. How did they get there? So I started to explain. Oh, how the dinosaurs were dead. Yeah, meteors and da-da-da. So, but yeah, but what happened to their bodies? Just, they're just bones. And I said, I'll tell you what, we'll leave this for another day. <laughs> but, but what really happened? Oh. Exactly. No, but that's a, you But know, for the person with dementia, right. uh, it, it's reality. Right. Yeah. And so, and, and music can, you know, truth be told, music can help change the mood of the caregiver, too. You know, so sometimes those long, tedious days, a little music in, in our lives, the, maybe there's something we both like to listen to. That could be a mood lifter for both of us. And you could get up and dance and get that exercise in as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, with Caring Companions, when you go into homes, what, what, what are the major kinds of needs that you see uh, that caregivers have? Primarily, they need respite. They need a break. They, um, you know, for family caregivers, this is what the thirty-six hour day, um, but certainly it is it is twenty-four-seven, and lots of people, even though they have people helping, maybe if they're utilizing their resources, they're just mentally exhausted, and so, um, you know, having a home caregiver allows them maybe four, six, twelve hours a week, if nothing else, time to go and get their hair done or go and. Uh, you know, do some shopping without having to worry about whether or not, you know, the person they're caring for is going to get lost in the store or, you know, to just have some peace of mind. So that's that's the big thing that we're looking for. Now, do you find it difficult to get family members or caregivers to accept that respite when it's first suggested? Or by the time you get there, have they already bought into the idea? Typically, by the time they call us, they're in desperate need. <laughs> they're ready. They're ready. They may not know how much they need, but somebody has suggested to them, get help, and finally they have. Although, um, sometimes it's the, it's the adult children saying, mom needs help caring for dad. I see her breaking down. And so then it does take some, some convincing. And um, But once they see, oh, my gosh, did I just have four hours of freedom? Now I want eight hours. How about That's we right. do double, the yeah, doubles, a week? Well, let's yeah. double down on that very quickly. I tried that yes. with my mom years ago. My dad had Alzheimer's, and she was 24-7 care. Uh, and I was with Jewish Family Service here. She was in Cleveland. I called my counterpart there. And they sent out two social workers, and they signed her up for Meals on Wheels and everything. She said, no, 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 send that to somebody who needs help. And didn't want them in the house, turned them away. Couldn't convince her that that would be really good for her. It's not not an easy job. And unfortunately, a lot of times it takes something catastrophic for that to happen. And if that it is what it is, you just have to wait and see. But you would hope that it doesn't get to the point that the caregiver's health fails, because that's the scary thing. And uh, aren't the the care recipient, the individual who may have Alzheimer's, uh, is it more difficult bringing a stranger into the home than for the caregiver, the adjustment? It can be. It really depends on their their phase of dementia that they're in, on, on how 
you know, how much they recognize reality and time and space and people. Well, and, and your people are, are trained, I'm sure, you know, that it's that smile on your face and that tone of your voice. I mean, the caregiver by that point may be a grumpy, mean person that they don't really want around. Yeah, who wants to be you around know, that and one? That, and that really nice person that comes in the home and is, you know, paying attention to them and wants to be, seems to want to be there with them. That can be a welcome change for the care recipient than tired, frazzled caregiver person. Well, we only hurt the ones we love. And so, you know, being a caregiver for someone really stresses out the relationship that they had. And that's one of the things we talk about is that wouldn't it be nice if you can just go back to being the daughter and not the person who does laundry and housekeeping and errand running and grocery shopping and cooking? Why don't you just be daughter and let somebody else do that part? And so the return to relationship is really it sounds pretty Vital. good yeah. to most caregivers if they they focus on that, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I think that's great. That's great advice. I mean, um, that's something that all of us, you know, if we're family members and we're trying to help somebody out and have them accept help, I think that's a really good way to frame that conversation. Why don't you be the husband? Why don't you be the wife? Why don't you go back to being the person you want to be instead of this the person that's doing all you know instead of the maid. She's Carol Zerniel, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron. Candace Slusher is with us, co-founder of The Music Project. Uh, She works with Caring Companions and is involved in a program, Music and Memory, providing both in-home care and using music as a way to ease the transition uh, through Alzheimer's. Uh, I'm curious, we talked briefly off the air, and I said to you, you're in a really growth industry home health or home medical or home personal assistance, all three are a growth industry. You're in the everything but the medical side, and you laughed and said, yeah, when we started this, there were about five companies, and now they're what? Hundreds. At least 35 to 40 that I know of, and they're popping up all the time. Providing the same kind of care. And they're there because there's so many people who are aging. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm sure, and I'm sure that none of them have enough workers. Uh, you know, none of them have enough staff for the Don't demand. Don't get me started. Can I do a plug? Yeah, sure. <laughs> well, you can do a plug. You're here. We're not paying you to be here. Sure. We always need good caregivers. That's enough. Well, well no, that's not a plug. That's saying yeah, no, that's true. you're you looking want good for help. quality yeah. people. Yeah. It's employment yeah. opportunities. What are you looking for? Who works well in this industry? Actually, um, the most requested types of caregivers would be females between the age of 35 and 55. And... Um, you know, we just start with the heart. You can learn skill, but we need to make sure this is something you want to do, that you are rewarded in ways other than financially. I mean, you get paid, but it needs to be rewarding for you, and this has to be where your heart is in order to be a good caregiver. Well, we only have a, just a couple of minutes left. You, uh, Your organization offer, also offers the Stress Busting Program, which is a program from the Wellmet Charitable Foundation. Can you talk about what the reception have been for the family members that you've seen go through the program? I know you're a trainer in Stress Busting. So tell us about the program first, the 411. So the Stress Busting Program is a nine-week free program, and uh, it was developed right here at the UT Health Science Center with Dr. Sharon Lewis, and um, the WellMed Foundation now is the distributor and does all the training for this. It's a phenomenal program. Um, It's an hour and a half, once a week for nine weeks, and what I've seen the biggest change is you know, the classes are small and so that there's a, an opportunity for caregivers to connect with one another because when they walk in, they're haggard, they have, probably haven't had a shower in a few days, they're tired, they're on the edge of crying, they don't have any makeup on, and they think that they're alone. 
they feel that they're alone. And so what they learn in just the first few weeks is that I'm not the only one dealing with this. And as soon as they start to connect with other people in the class, within a few weeks, everybody's got their makeup on and they walk in smiling. And it's like a little, it, it's a good social outlet for them as well. So and it's like to, group therapy. It really is. But, but it's also a workshop and it teaches them how to deal with their stress and that, oh, you're not crazy. You're just stressed out got about a minute left for folks who want more information about music and memory give us the website again it's www.musicandmemory.org and do you have a phone number for people who want to talk to you about it you can call me at 210-764-8500 that's my office number um, just ask for candace i'm the only one there now in radio you can give the number twice 210-764-8500. Carol, you've seen this program in action in terms of music and memory. It works. Oh, absolutely. I, I encourage anyone out there listening to go to the website, check it out, and try it out. Sounds good. Candace, thanks so much for coming in. I appreciate it. And a shout-out to Tim, who came along with you, one of your coworkers. Thank you, Tim. This is Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. Up next, you got it, Take 10. With Dr. Jamie Heisman and a cast of characters right here on 9.30 a.m., The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, and one of the things I'm most pleased about being a well-med patient is the way in which I'm treated by all the staff at the clinic I go to. And Dr. Robin Eikhoff... That's not by accident. No, it's not. We really spend a lot of time training our staff and asking them to really connect with the patients and get to know them because we consider them part of our clinic home. And the other thing that's really impressive to me is the amount of time my well-med physician spends with me, and you do the same thing with your patients. Yeah, I, I really do try to, and, and we do a lot, a lot more time than your typical uh, provider can afford to give, and I think that allows us to get to know the whole patient and not just their diseases. That's cool. Don't have a lot of time to talk about prevention, but you do a lot of that as well. We spend an enormous amount of time on preventative measures. One information about WellMed, want to be a WellMed patient? Call 210-614-WELL. 210-614-WELL. Thank you so much for sticking with us on Caregiver SOS On Air. At the end of each of our programs, we bring you Take 10, a special segment in which we are joined by nationally known psychotherapist, expert on addictions and caregiving, Dr. Jamie Heisman. He joins us on our Caregiver SOS hotline. Ordinarily, Carol Zorniel is with us as well. Uh, she had a conflict and is on special assignment for the rest of the afternoon. And so, Dr. Jamie and me, Ron Aaron, will carry on. Uh, and it's a topic that Carol left with me to share with you, Dr. Jamie. And this is like throwing a high, hard one to a fastball hitter. What is the situation where, and this happens in family after family after family, the promise is made to mom or dad or aunt or uncle, no matter what happens, you'll stay at home, we'll care for you, we will never put you in a nursing home, never send you to assisted living. It's written in stone. And then, of course, it has to be undone. Well, if there's any one emotion that anyone caring for vulnerable people can count on, it's guilt, okay? <laughs> I mean, in our culture, Ron, it's called original guilt, but uh, guilt happens pandemically in caregivers, and I truly believe from the bottom of my heart is that statement and that quote-unquote promise stems from a huge well of guilt. 
we feel guilty about a decision and taking some kind of action that our loved one uh, needs to, to actually be in a residential center away from the family. We feel guilty about a decision to wait. We feel guilty about asking out. We feel guilty about everything. And so to, to your point, this is not this is not a promise that we should make. But people do make it, and it's one of those things you wish you could stuff the words back in your mouth, but out they pop. Mama, don't worry. We'll never put you in a home. But, you know, and Ron, that's so true. And, and the issue about that, though, is, is is it really? I mean, let's think about this, and hopefully the listeners can join us. Is that really a decision that we can make? I mean, is that are we clinicians? Are we medically savvy enough? Do we really know neurology well enough? Is, is our background Parkinson's, traumatic brain injury, you know, uh, Alzheimer's? I mean, is this something a person can literally say clear-eyed to somebody and say that I'm making the right decision? This is a decision that should be only handled by a licensed gerontologist, geriatrician, or allied health professional. But we make the statement for, for what to us are all the right reasons. We, we want to do that. You think they're the right reasons. They sound like the right reasons. They sound because aging in place is the right reason, and we all would love to age in place. Uh, I don't know anybody in this culture who doesn't want to age in place. Uh, it makes all the sense in the world. However, are we doing a real service for the person who's aging in place with a declining or decompensating neurological disorder? If somebody literally cannot handle the house environment that quote unquote we promised them that we would keep them in, are we doing them a service? Are we, are we lessening their self-esteem? Are we setting them up for failure? I mean, at some point in time, we can finally just say to ourselves, we're human beings, and you know what? We may have made a mistake. And assuming the care recipient has their mental faculties, can you explain that to them and say, look, I know we talked about this. I know I said we'd do this, but... We can't do it anymore. It's not in your best interest or in mine. Well, I totally believe you can, Ron. I guess everything requires a strategy and a game plan. I know nobody really loves sports metaphors, but, you know, you're the quarterback. You're the primary caregiver, period, end of story. And if this needs to be revisited, and let's say somebody had made that, that promise that, that, that relieved them of guilt in that very moment, but couldn't medically really uh, be astute enough to make that, that promise forever, then I think it's very important to get the family together, bring in a third party, a licensed clinical social worker, geriatric care manager, or even the physician, if you will, and physicians do charge by the hour as well, and you can certainly get time with them. And then sit down and revisit the situation with your loved one if she or he is cognitively able to handle it. <laughs> Excuse me. And if he or she is cognitively able to handle it, let them hear it from a the, the licensed clinician who's up there who has them as their patient, and also from the third party. And then let the entire caregiver group around support it, cry with them grieve with them or be happy for them and say, we're going to support you. And you know what? Not a whole lot's going to change, Mom, except that you're going to be in a better place that's going to be able to handle you and will be there, too. He's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Take 10, which comes to you at the end of every one of our Caregiver SOS on-air programs. We're talking about that promise that 
probably should never be made, the promise not to put somebody in a nursing home or assisted living. Uh, I know in my own situation, my mom, as she began to decline, uh, had to go into a rehab facility for a little while, and my brother made arrangements to take her to an assisted living home. And on the way home uh, to the new assisted living facility, uh, he drove mom by what becomes her old house and said, Mom, take a look. You don't live there anymore. A little cold and direct, but it worked, and my family all have a sense of humor. Well, they must have. Can you explain to me what they were laughing about? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my brother has a sick sense of humor, and so uh, my mom got it, and uh, and she adjusted to it. It was tough, uh, but she adjusted to it, and she knew that... Uh, she was in a situation where uh, she'd forget to turn the stove off. She'd forget to uh, uh, shower in, in colder water, was scalding herself. She was at risk for injury. And I think intellectually she knew that. She did not have dementia. Uh, she was just aging and failing in, in terms of her physical abilities. I believe totally that you can actually sit with loved ones and have a conversation with them, especially loved ones who, let's face it, Ron, who are extraordinarily lonely. Think about it for a second. So somebody's got a reason to be in a skilled facility. Either their mobility is challenged or they have a neurological issue or the house is not safe, whatever the reason is. It's also kind of like a living tomb, if you will. Loneliness is the cancer of the soul of the senior. We're seeing more and more uh, evidence-based you know, research come in that loneliness in and of itself is killing people. So if you really are able to sit with a loved one and, and identify the loneliness of living in that house and, and being set up for failure, and then bring them as a family to a social environment at a skilled nursing or assisted living facility and, and do it in that way, in that kind of contrast, don't you think that we're doing the best thing, even if we have to go back on a quote-unquote broken promise? Uh, talk to me a little bit about what you said. I don't want to let that just slip by. What you said is we are seeing loneliness killing people. Absolutely. How? In fact, we're seeing this as a huge issue. Recently in the Huffington Post, and, and I, I read that there's charities now, nonprofits and foundations that are just called basically the Loneliness Foundation. This is a, a, a highly detached society, social media, electronics, um, and also culture. I mean, I don't want to single out one, but let me you know, mention that uh, African-Americans, Latinos, uh, Caribbean-Americans here in South Florida, Haitian-Americans do have a different way of connecting with their loved ones. Anglos, for the most part, sometimes are detached, don't come to the facility enough. And also when somebody lives at home, They're at home with no social stimulation. So it is vital to understand that loneliness can kill, and that's why an assisted living with a good social program is really sometimes the way to go. And if you have this conversation uh, with your loved one, you mentioned getting uh, perhaps their uh, provider and a clinical social worker in, uh, and, and let them carry the bulk of the conversation so that it doesn't look like you're pushing them out the door? 
No, in fact, I think the caregiver comes out smelling like a rose. I think when the licensed clinician uh, or even, again, the primary care doctor or neurologist makes the recommendation, you know, everybody is just as helpless around the corner. This is a chronic and terminal illness, and there's, unless we're God, we can't change it. So I think the caregiver then becomes a supportive element, and what they're supporting is the decision of the medical professional. They're not the heavy. They're not kill the messenger. They're there to say, Mom, Dad, we hear what you heard, and we're here to support you, and we'll take you to that skilled nursing facility and be there with you as much as we're there with you at the house now. Did I hear you say, Dr. Jamie, for those of you who just joined us, he's Dr. Jamie Heisman. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Take 10 on Caregiver SOS On Air. Did I hear you say that aging is a chronic and terminal condition? No, no. Actually, uh, well, aging certainly is a chronic condition. We can, we can say that. And yes, I guess you would say terminal, and we need to come to grips with de- uh, life and death issues. Because we're all going to die. When I say, I say chronic illness or terminal illness is, is the issue we need to, to look with. And, and if a doctor says that we need to take that to an environment where we're not lonely, we're not isolated, then caregivers can support their loved ones. You're cute when you smile. I like that. Stick with us. We're Thank flat you. out of time. We'll pick this up again next week on Take 10 on Caregiver SOS on Air. For Carol Zorniel and Dr. Jamie Heisman, thanks for being with us. I'm Ron Aaron. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on Air on 930 AM, The Answer. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS on Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. Email suggestions and comments on this radio program to radio at wellmed.net. And join your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zerniel, for another edition of Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM, The Answer.